the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 574, for Monday, October 12th, 2015. Yeah, greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We share answers to your tips. We share your questions. Wait a minute. We share answers to your questions. We share your tips. We share cool stuff found, but we'll not do that today. We'll probably do a cool stuff found segment next week for those of you who like to prepare for those, either by sending stuff in or by preparing your wallets for the cool stuff we mentioned, though we try to include many inexpensive and free things too, like car talk for Apple geeks. We're here to help. Sponsors for this episode include new sponsor, Bombix Software at B-O-M-B-I-C-H dot com slash M-G-G, where you get 10% off of Carbon Copy Cloner. We'll, we'll talk about that shortly here. Gazelle.com at, of course, Gazelle.com, where you can get money for your iPhone and iPad. And, of course, Casper at Casper.com slash M-G-G. Start getting a good night's sleep. And now, one sponsor from last episode, I want to make sure... We get you the coupon code right. It's harrys.com. Shave five off. That's it's H-A-V-E, the number five O-F-F. Get you five bucks off your Harry's thing. Just wanted to make sure we got that in correctly for you here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How are you today, Mr. Braun? You sound chipper. I'm doing great, but uh, man, my toys are uh, aren't working What's wrong with your toys, John? That's not good. Uh, I will find out. So, uh, so you know, I got the shiny uh, one. I was on uh, this site here, which you, if uh, if you haven't been to this site, you really should go to this site. And it's uh, supportprofile.apple.com. This is where you can register your products and you can see the coverage and you can even get support. And I had to take advantage of that. So one, I, uh, I got Apple Care for my, uh, my refurb here. And, uh, of course, it shows you the AppleCare status uh, if you have your machine registered. So that's nice. Got it from L.A. Computer Company, which I think is the best price. Yep. Just got that in under the wire. But then my uh, iPhone, my shiny new 6S here, uh, uh, doesn't like to talk to uh, my, my devices. Really? So I think I got a bum phone here. Yeah, the only device that it'll talk to is the uh, charging cable that it came with. Charges up, um, and also the battery life is kind of kind of not that great. So I think there's, there's some power related issue here. So I it only works with one cable. Uh, it only works with the charging cable that it came with. What? But, but so like another charging cable won't charge it. So for example, the power cable. So you know that um, charger that we got the uh, the Power Slayer. Velvet wire power slayer, I think. Yeah, which comes with a really nice cable. It's you know got fabric. Uh, yeah, you know, it's not pl- you know right. Uh, doesn't see that. Okay. Um, you know, I got a couple of these flash drives. Uh, any any of them and any device except for a basic charging cable that I plug in. Uh, plug it in, and after about five to ten seconds, it comes up with that message saying this peripheral or device is not authorized, and I'm not going to talk to it. But it works with it. So my, I guess my question is, do you have multiple Apple branded cables that you can test with? Because that's what I'm curious is if it doesn't yes. work with all of those. It, 
it works with the Apple cables yeah. and one non-Apple but basic uh, cable that I got from a third party. Sure. But anything else. So that's why I think it may be uh, hardware or current or power related. Hmm. I mean, if it's, I, I, well, I'm curious to see what the, what the genius bar unearths, but you know, it would, it would seem to me that if it's working with every Apple cable that you've tried with it, mm. that then it is working to spec. And if, if there's no, like if, if, but some third party cable does not work with the device. That's simply the device protecting you and itself appropriately according, according to Apple's specs. Yeah. Well, the thing is that the devices that don't work with the phone work yeah. fine with my iPad. Yeah. But Apple changes their tolerance on these things. Well, seeing as how all of the devices work just fine on my five S and none of them uh, except for the char- basic charging cable work on the 6S, I'm suspecting it's a problem with the phone. Well, yeah, yeah, you're de- but you're definitely there's a change with the phone. My guess, I, I'm I'm curious if the Genius Bar agrees with your definition of it being a problem versus just operating as it should. But it may it may be a problem. I haven't I haven't uh, noticed I, an it, issue. But but remember, I moved. From I, I didn't jump just from a 5S to a 6S series. I jumped from a 5S to a 6 to a 6S. And I I don't recall, well, maybe I do recall, when I jumped to the 6, a lot of charging accessories were not um, tolerated by that device. But yeah, I, but this I, is also, but this is other device. It's not just charging devices. It's also third-party peripherals. You know, like I mentioned, I got a couple of uh, oh. flash drives. Oh, f- iPhone-based flash drives. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got um, an external battery pack that works fine with you know huh. my iPad and the prior phone. Yeah, yeah. But it, it just it just says no. I'm, I'm not going to talk to them. Have so you tried a um, Have you tried a, a, a factory wipe of the device? Uh, I I did a uh, restore. That's what I mean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and reinstalled everything. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Which, uh, oh, yeah. No, I, uh, in my humble opinion, I think it's a it's a hardware issue. Anything that draws, it, it seems to me, anything that draws more than a basic amount of current, it says no. Huh? Or something with the MFI, you know? Yeah, the right. MFI uh, shenanigans that they uh, implement there. We'll when's, see what happens. When's your but, genius but, bar appointment? Wednesday. Oh, okay. So it's before we see each other. All right. Well, I'll still, I'll bring down my, uh, you know, I have that, that little, uh, it's a mm-hmm. USB inline current, uh, meter essentially. And, and it just, it plugs into a USB port and then it has a USB port on it. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It cost me like eight bucks at Amazon or something. And, uh, and it's great cause it shows amperage and voltage right on the, on the display on the thing. So it lets you know if your device is charging it you know, half an amp or one amp or two amps, whatever you, whatever it is, it's a great way to test stuff out. So. Yeah. But I researched it, you know, I went online and looked at other people that had the problem. And a lot of people who had this problem said that, uh, often the solution is they said, Oh, we are going to give you a new phone. Nice. (laughs) All right. Well, maybe you get a new phone on Wednesday. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll see. Cool. So, but, but it's cool because uh, through the, uh, support, profile site that i mentioned you can also uh initiate so i actually initiated chat did an online chat with uh you know someone at apple and we went back and forth and 
you know, I told them what I told you and they said, um, yeah, we're going to have, we're going to need a technician to look at it. Sure. It's a, we we don't have any recommendations as to how you could solve this on your own. Got it. Got it. So they're thinking along the same lines as I am. Probably. It's a, it's most likely a hardware issue. Very good. Well, we'll find out. uh, I look forward to hearing next week what, what the, uh, what the outcome is, my friend. Hopefully it, Hopefully it starts out. Yeah. Cause I haven't had problems with like battery chargers or anything. And I think you and I have a lot of the same, um, same types of things. So mm-hmm. hopefully it sorts out for you, man. Hey, uh, I, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while and, and we keep pushing off from it. So I will, I will do it now. As I promised last week, I've been checking out the iPad mini four, which is the new iPad mini uh, from Apple. It was, it was mentioned very, very briefly in the keynote uh, when they announced all the new stuff, including the iPad Pro. And they just said casually, I think they spent about 90, uh, maybe not, no, not 90 seconds, maybe a second and a half on, uh, on this, where they said the iPad Mini 4 now has all the guts of the iPad Air 2 in the iPad Mini form. And every one of us that is uh, enamored and uh, prefers the size of the iPad mini kind of, you know, perked up like, Hey, Whoa, what? And sure enough, uh, this thing is an iPad air two in the iPad mini form factor. Now there's a, there's one caveat about the form factor. It is not exactly the iPad mini form factor. It's a little bit longer and the, uh, you know, the camera and things like that are placed a little bit differently. So what that means is, in your hand, it feels pretty much the same size, but cases, if you have, if you have been an iPad mini user for a long time and you just grab one of these, your existing cases will not even come close to working on it. Uh, so you just got to bear that in mind that it is slightly different, uh, in dimensions, but I tell you what, you know, last year when they updated the iPad mini, um, basically they took the same specs as the original iPad mini retina, and the iPad mini three uh, just added touch ID. That's it. They didn't, you know, no processor or anything. Well, this year it's a major CPU boost. And I'll tell you, this thing is so snappy. Uh, everything runs faster on it, but especially, you know, if you're doing anything graphics intensive games and stuff um, really moves, but even just, like I said, just moving around, it's got, all the RAM, the full two gigs of RAM that the um, that the Air Two does, which means more apps can run simultaneously. Just like the the success uh, iPhones as well, the success and success plus John have the uh, extra RAM. And what this means is, a lot of times when you go back to an app, you see the app have to relaunch. I see a whole lot less of that on this, but what it also means is it gets all of the multitasking support, including full split screen on this, which is really, really handy. But I'm going to say something, even, even with just the slide over support, one of my favorite features, and you can do all of these slide over things. I think on these go way back, right? You can go back to the original uh, retina mini, the iPad mini two. One of my favorite things to do with that is with one password. Uh, If you're on a website, and you want to log into it, you do not 
or even in an app, and this is actually even better, right? If you're in an app like a, you know, a, a open table or Yelp or something like that, and you've got your password stored in one password, some apps actually support a direct link to one password, but a lot don't. And with slide over support, which one password of course does, you just slide in from the right, find one password there and you can run it while you've got the other app open. So you don't have to bounce back and forth. It's really, really handy, but, uh, but I, this thing is quite nice and, and it is interesting. You know, I, I think like a lot of iPad mini owners, uh, there was no real, the, the touch ID wasn't a compelling enough reason to upgrade last year. So, uh, so we didn't, but, and I didn't, but this one, it is nice having touch ID on the iPad. It takes a little getting used to, you know, as, as you saw John, you know, when, when we are, uh, I guess it was Lucas that was talking about it. You know, he had to change his password to force himself to get into the habit of using touch ID. Otherwise he was just doing the same thing he did over and over and over again uh, with his previous device. So I've had to do that here, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's, it's my favorite iPad mini to date and well worth the upgrade. Uh, if you're a, if you're an iPad mini customer or owner lover, as we all are, any questions about this, John, any questions from anybody in the chat room at Mac slash stream. John. Now this supports the, uh, doesn't it, the, that one support the uh, split screen. Yeah. Yeah. The full split yeah. screen, which is, you know, you would, I, I was wondering how split screen would be on a, you know, on a, a smaller device, right? Cause the phones don't support it. They're, they're too small. I mean, at least in Apple's opinion, I would assume, but uh, yeah, on this, you know, having email and a web page up simultaneously works great. Uh, no complaints at all. And it really, you know, a lot of these apps that you're running on iPad are built also to be run on the iPhone. And so that's a lot of what it feels like is, you know, at times you've just got two pretty wide iPhones, you know, sitting next to each other in landscape mode. And that that's how split screen feels on this, which is great. Uh, no, no. I was going to say no complaints, but I, I actually really like it. I find myself using it quite a bit. And what's really cool with split screen, and this is true, not just on this iPad, but on any iPad that supports it. You have the ability uh, to like if you have mail and Safari open and you hit a link, it doesn't, you know, pop into Safari in an awkward way. It just sort of naturally opens in Safari, just like you're on your Mac. It, it's quite a nice thing. Um, and that's part, that's kind of the thing that's got me the most curious about the iPad Pro is how how smooth that that experience is going to be on that thing. Um, I'm not sure the iPad Pro is a device I would use on a daily basis, but Let's be honest. I've said that about the iPod. I said it about the iPad. Uh, so there's no reason that I'm wrong. No, there's no reason that I'm not wrong, rather, about this. So yeah, the split screen's cool, man. I'll, I'll show it to you when uh, when I come down this week. I didn't did I, I didn't show it to you when I was down the last time, right? It was a pretty quick trip. Nope. Yeah, this one should give us a little more time together. So good stuff. Any other any other questions about it, about it, John? Nope. Look forward to. Uh... Checking it out. Yeah. Uh, in the in the chat room, N-C-S-U-C-P-E, uh, which is just the chat handle, uh, this person's chat handle, asks, uh, does, the, does the iPad Mini 4 have the crazy fast touch ID that the 6Ss do? Uh, no, I don't feel like it does. Uh, but, you know, the other thing is I'm using Apple's case on it. My only complaint and the only time I noticed the crazy fast touch ID is... Uh, when I try to wake it up with the home button and I miss whatever notifications I have, but I, I, uh, I, with a, with Apple smart cover on this thing, 
it's a different experience, right? Because I just open it and it wakes up from the, the cover opening. So it's not uh, touch ID on this device actually works the way I really like it, it. It, it just allows you to get past the lock screen as opposed to this sort of dual purpose with one button waking up. I mean, I know the iPad does that too, but because the smart covers on it, it works a little bit. The, the UX is a little bit different. So it's good stuff. I like this thing. I, uh, it's going to be sad when I have to send it back, but you know, all good things, right? That's how it works. All good things. Time to move on to, uh, to Simon, John. Why not? All right. Take uh, us to Simon, my friend. Where is Simon? There we are. So, uh, Simon writes in and says, is there a clean way to remove unused programs from an iMac? Windows has an uninstall feature that removes all files added during the install process. Does the Mac? Um, no. And he also says, uh, you both start the show with here in blank. I'm blank. Who are you when you're not in Connecticut or New Hampshire? I'll answer that in a moment, maybe. Um, <laughs> I'm not allowed to so, reveal um, my secret identity, John. Just We've been through this, but I just wanted to make sure you knew. So, um, And I'll say the one that I like, Dave, and, and I like using. And I did a survey of, of the space a while ago. And as, as far as the ones that are free... Um, I really like one called App Cleaner, uh, which you can get at www.freemaxsoft.net slash app cleaner. And I found it does a really good job. So uh, what you do is, uh, or at least what I do is I put a, a shortcut to it on my desktop. And when I want to get rid of an app, I drag it on top of it. And it basically takes the app and then does some smart things and we'll find, uh, you know, the P list files, uh, you know, any extensions, uh, even the uh, installer itself, you know, to totally get rid of it. So you're not tempted to install the software again. Um, and chucks it for you. And I, I found that the, uh, for me, that's, that's what I use. Um, there are other programs that will uh, do this as well. I believe, um, uh, is it Mac Cleaner? I think Mac Cleaner has a facility that you can enable that will also be smart about uh, throwing things away. Um, clean My Mac. Uh, or does. Clean My Mac, yes. Yeah, Clean My Mac certainly kind of monitors what you do. And I that I really like because you'll just, you know, you'll throw a file away and it'll say, hey, wait a minute, you're, uh, it looks like you're uninstalling something. Do you want to go in uninst and, and remove the rest of it right now? And of course you can say no. And there's times when you want where you would want to say no to that uh, if you're just updating to a new version or, you know, there's some other mm -hmm. reason. But uh, but yeah, I like I like these things that just sort of sit and watch uh, and and sort of, you know, just pop up when you do it and say, hey, 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 you know. So, yeah, I clean my Mac. It's, it's one of my uh, I've, 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 I'm quite enamored with that utility. I like it. It's good. Good so, stuff. That's what I got for that. But it is, um, but it is a good point that that is, uh, I would say, one of the the features that is lacking uh, in OS ten is there's no nice way to uh, to get rid of things. In theory, you know, throwing away the app should uh, disable most things, or, or is, is the best thing for most software, but not all software. And some software actually has uninstallers. I, I found that's that's fairly rare. 
Yeah, um, for for a, an application itself to come with an uninstaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Some do, but but it's it's not the it's not the rule. And Apple's uh, Apple's installer does not, uh, even though it it knows where it put everything, uh, it does not offer an automatic uninstall option. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure the last time I looked at the installer maker, I, I believe you can activate an option that'll allow people to uninstall, but I, I don't, I don't see a lot of people do that. So got it. Got it. Well, so there we go. There and we then are. the answer to the other question is when I'm not in Connecticut, I'm a space cowboy. So, oh, uh, you're the gangster of love, man. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's good. You're a joker is what you are. Uh, yeah. You want to take us to Alan, my friend? <laughs> All right. Let me get Alan up here. Where are you, Alan? Okay. Well, this was a good question. So. All right. Alan writes in. Um, and he said, you probably don't remember me. No, sorry. Uh, about six years, we, six years ago, we spoke about getting my Apple to replace my aluminum 2008 MacBook with a 2010 MacBook Pro. Um, and I'm not sure how that turned out. But now he, has, he says he has an easier problem. I want to clear search results history from Yahoo Search. The online instructions are clear and easy. Go to tools on the menu bar and select internet. Only there is no tools on the bar. Other recommendations include double clicking on the search and pressing delete or going into history. This also does nothing. I use Safari version 9 as my browser and LCAP as my El Capitan. Capitan? Capitan. As my operating system. This should be an easy solution for this. Um, enjoy the podcast. So sometimes we geek out, he says. So, uh, and Alan's right. The thing is, uh, I think what he found is instructions on how to use their toolbar, probably on Windows, to, uh, to get rid of your history. And he's right. The, those instructions will not work. So, I'm assuming what he has is uh, in Safari... So in Safari and Preferences, uh, you can select which search tool you would like to use. And I use Google. Um, I would think he has it. So he has it set to Yahoo. Um, There's a couple other options. I think Bing and DuckDuckGo are the other two that you can do from Safari. Now, the thing is, if you're logged into your account, and this is common with the larger search engines, uh, if you are logged into your account when the search is done, it's got to maintain a history and you may not want that <laughs> or he certainly doesn't. And I, I won't ask why uh, some people find it handy and some people may not want to leave uh, uh, evidence of their uh, activities. So if Yahoo is set to your search, um, the way to do this is that you enter something in the uh, uh, search slash website field in Safari and then you hit return. You will then see a gear in the upper right-hand corner. So that's a hint that that's like a a tool. So what you do is you then click on that. Then there's going to be a search history uh, field. And you'll then see your search history. It's actually kind of neat. I actually enabled it. I I typically don't use Yahoo for for my searches. Yeah. But I do have a Yahoo account. And yeah, sure enough, I, uh, you know, uh, when I was logged into my Yahoo account, uh, it showed me the history. Uh, there should be next to your searches, or at least what I saw, is a, a little trash can next to each item. So you can individually get rid of ones. Uh, if you want to get rid of 
if you want to disable this feature, then you can say turn history off. So by default, it's on. And I think with most search tools, uh, it is. And there's also a clear history. It sounds like that's what he wants to do. And that's the answer. That'll do it. Um, there is there is a uh, another option. Apple supports, in addition to Yahoo, Bing, and of course Google, Yahoo supports a search. Yahoo, Apple supports a search engine called DuckDuckGo, which mm-hmm. is an engine that was built with privacy in mind. They do absolutely no tracking of you or what you do, and uh, and their results are pretty good. Uh, I was using DuckDuckGo for a while just because it was really efficient. And when I'm doing searches, especially for prepping this show, I want to include the link that the search ends in. And for a while, though, they they fixed this. You know, Google's tracking would, if you highlighted a link in Google search results and copied that link, you'd get google.com slash, you know, some redirect code so that, which is what happens so that Google knows what you've clicked on and, and you know, they can use it both to, you know, track you, but also improve their search results and by knowing what people are clicking on and all that. Uh, so it was just a pain in the neck that I was getting these, you know, big, long gobbledygook links that I didn't want for our show notes. And so I would, I just started using DuckDuckGo, but I, I, um, I'm, I'm a human being and, and being that way, I'm a creature of habit and I had a really hard time uh, I found myself manually going to Google a lot, especially on my phone, just because I'm used to the way they do things. Um, so I couldn't stick with DuckDuckGo, which is sort of sort of a shame. I, I certainly appreciate their their model of not uh, not tracking anything. So that may be another option for you, Alan. Is just change and use DuckDuckGo, and then then you don't have to worry about any of this. So it's a good, it's a good engine. There's nothing wrong with their results. It's just not exactly um, what I was used to. And I, yeah, <clears throat> I may give them a whirl. And then uh, for Google, uh, similar. If you're logged into your Google account, let's see. If you if you're logged in and then you click on my account, you will see a personal info and privacy category. And then below that, I think it's activity controls. You're you're um, back in Google, right? If you, if you want to. You're talking yes. about if you want to clear and, and see your history in Google. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you, if you go down that path, then you're going to see, and actually in my case, uh, the, uh, the setting after activity controls is uh, your searches and browsing activity. And right now I actually have that turned off. Okay. Yep. Yep. Cool. Cool. Good stuff. John, I want yeah. to. Uh, are, are we are we finished with this one here? Um, I guess the last thing is that okay. you uh, you may also want to again if uh, you're concerned about uh, someone seeing your browsing history. Of course, the other place you can go would be within uh, Safari itself. If you go to the history, the, there is a history menu, and of course, you can say clear history. Mm. Uh, and I think by default, of course, Safari uh, does maintain your uh, uh, recent. Uh, activity, which, you know, personally, I find it handy. It's like, oh, man, what was that page that I was at, you know, a couple days ago that I found some really good info and, uh, you know, Safari will maintain that. Uh, I think by default that's on. Uh, As far as I know, you can go in the preferences and turn that off, but you can also clear it. And that's, uh, again, in the uh, history menu. 
Yeah. Or if you know that you're going to be doing something that you don't want tracked in your history, for whatever reason, you can enter private browsing mode. Uh, and mm-hmm. that, that does a little more than just ignoring uh, or not logging stuff to your history. It also uh, does not read or store cookies. Uh, so it, it, you, you could find yourself in a scenario where, you know, you're in private browsing mode and it's a lot of work because you're not logged in where you thought you were and, and that sort of thing. Just, so just be aware of what it is you're, what it is you're doing. It, it's like creating a truly sandboxed browser window that it's um, not storing nor inheriting most things from the outside. It will inherit some things from the outside, but not most. So good stuff. Indeed, my friend. Hey, I want to talk about our, uh, our sponsors here. Does that sound good to you, John? Absolutely. Our first sponsor today is also our newest Bombic software, makers of carbon copy cloner, something you've heard John and I talk about countless times on this show because we both use it ourselves. Carbon copy cloner creates bootable Mac backups. They've been doing it since 2002. They even back up your Mac's recovery volume, meaning you wind up with a truly fully functioning clone of whatever it is you've told it to back up. Now, The result of these clones is non-proprietary. It's readable on any Mac or really any computer that can read a Mac volume. There's nothing special about it, and you don't need Carbon Copy Cloner to read the results. It is exactly the same. Well, with one notable difference, Carbon Copy Cloner allows you to include what's called a safety net. This keeps the files that would have been deleted. Sometimes when you're making a clone, It means deleting files from the destination. Well, you don't necessarily want to lose data if you've made a mistake on your main drive. So Carbon Copy Cloner's safety net protects you against that by keeping the files that you've deleted in a little bucket for a while. You can set how big the bucket can get, and you can also set how long things should remain in it. You can schedule your backups with Carbon Copy Cloner, and you can even chain them together. What this means is you can schedule one backup, and then have it trigger the next one, and that trigger the one after that. This means that you can have your backups start at the same time every day, but be assured that they will not be running on top of each other, keeping things efficient. When a backup finishes, you can have it email you, and these emails can be very helpful. I get two emails a day because I have two backups a day. Very, very handy to be sure that these things are running and completing successfully. Carbon Copy Cloner's pricing works on the household license concept meaning they know you're going to buy one copy and install it on all of your computers in your house and they allow this 39.99 is the normal price but they've offered us a 10 percent discount to share with you bombic.com that's b-o-m-b-i-c-h.com slash m-g-g is where you go to get that discount with the coupon code m-g-g 10 off that's m-g-g one zero off visit bombic.com slash m-g-g today get your copy of carbon copy cloner our thanks to Bombic for sponsoring this episode. It's new iPhone season, folks, which means that it's about to be holiday season. And Gazelle is somebody that can help you through this troubled time. If you've gotten a new iPhone, if you're getting a new iPhone, if someone you know has gotten a new iPhone or is getting a new iPhone, maybe they're going to get the new iPad Pro and they're going to be finished with their iPad or iPad mini or iPad air. 
You don't just want to pile that thing up and forget about it. You want to turn it into cash. And that's what Gazelle is going to do for you. Visit gazelle.com. Tell them what you got. You don't even have to tell them your name first. Just tell them what you got. And boom, they're going to give you a price. And when I say you tell them what you got, it's like three clicks. You say, I've got an iPad or an iPhone. It's this big. It's in this condition. And the condition, you don't have to be a, you know, rocket surgeryist. Rocket surgeryist? To, uh... Rocket surgeon. That's the word we're going to use. You don't have to be a rocket surgeon to figure out the condition of your phone. It's like, you know, terrible, good, or fantastic. That's it. Pick one. Pick the accurate one. They'll give you a price. Then they'll send you a box free of charge. You put the iPhone in the box. You ship it back to them free of charge. And they send you your money. If they feel like the condition is different. And I've had them tell me the condition's better than I thought. Because I'm no rocket surgeon, folks. They send you more money, but not, but not without asking first. You got to check this out. Gazelle.com. This is where you're going to turn your iPhones into cash real fast. You can even get more if you're willing to take it as an Amazon gift card. You get 5% more. This time of year, you know you're going to be spending money on Amazon. Why not take the extra money? Visit them. Gazelle.com. Our thanks to Gazelle for sponsoring this episode. Do you like to get a good night's sleep? I do. That's why we love Casper mattresses here. Our third sponsor, casper.com slash MGG with coupon code MGG. Just in case you forget the URL, saves you 50 bucks on a brand new, awesome memory foam mattress. It's more than just memory foam, though. This is memory foam at the core with latex foam around it, just the right amount of latex foam to keep you from getting hot at night. One of the problems with the original memory foam mattresses, these have just the right sink, just the right bounce, and they make for better nights and brighter days. In addition, Casper, because they know you may not have experienced memory foam yet, and you might be a little bit afraid. Well, one thing is you could go to the store and try it in your clothes for five minutes laying on top of a mattress without covers on it but that kind of stinks they know you want to test this in your home 100 days and 100 nights more importantly is what casper gives you to fully experience their mattress if at any time during those 100 days and nights you find that you are not happy with this and you don't want to keep it send it back They'll take it from you. No money out of your pocket. They give you your money back for the mattress. All of it. There's no return fees. 500 bucks for a twin size mattress is where their prices start. 950 for a king. But like I said, you get to save 50 bucks off of each of those and get free shipping. So make sure to visit casper.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks off the mattress of your choice plus free shipping. And 100-day free returns. you got to check this out. There's no reason not to start sleeping better right away. Casper.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Casper for sponsoring this episode. John, I think that means it's time. Now that we've gotten a good night's sleep, we've got our backups straightened out, and we've got money for our old iPhones, it's time to answer Michael's question about just what's going on with his email accounts in iOS 9. Don't you think, my friend? Usually. Usually. Michael writes, uh, 
I just upgraded my iPad to iOS 9 and now have a big issue in trying to figure out how to re-enter a password for a Gmail account. It used to be very straightforward, but Apple seems to have done something to a pretty simple process. If this is a sign of what is going on inside Apple, it may be time to start getting worried. It is starting to look like they are letting the engineers control user experience. Any suggestions? So uh, I do love a good conspiracy theory. As you know, I emotionally support 100% of them. Uh, but I don't think there's any huge conspiracy going on, or at least I don't think this is evidence of it. I, if anything, uh, I believe this is evidence of Apple and the cloud and how hard they find some cloud things to do. They don't find everything with the cloud hard to do. Calendar works really well. Card syncing works really well. Card dev does. Um, the mail works really well. That's just when they start syncing settings and user data that things get wonky. And I think that's what's going on here. Uh, when you updated to iOS 9 and when you update or updated to El Capitan, Apple pulls in a lot of the account data that you had in iCloud. Um, it syncs a lot of that data out or it, it often syncs a lot of that data out. And sometimes you wind up with it coming back even when you didn't have it uh, there before. Often on iOS 9, this means you get an account that sits there and doesn't let you edit it, just like you're seeing. And the simplest answer is to just remove the account from the device and re-add it. Uh, you go into settings, mail contacts, calendars on iOS, and, uh, and just delete it there and re-add it. Assuming it's Gmail and you're connecting, uh, you know, kind of via their default methods uh, or you've got it set up as an IMAP account, you're not going to lose anything because all the data is stored on the server and your, your device is just syncing with that. So that's the uh, that's the answer there. And and it, uh, my my feeling is it'll work for you. We had one other listener who wrote in, had the same problem, couldn't make some changes to their iCloud account uh, in mail. And I believe this was on this was on their Mac. Uh, went through it a couple of times. Of course, you can't delete an iCloud account from mail that way. You have to actually sign out of iCloud and then sign back in. But uh, but that solved it there as well. So, you know, doing whatever it takes to remove the account from the device and then re-add the account to, to the device tends to tends to solve this stuff. So hopefully that'll work for you too, Michael. Right? Good. Thoughts right. on this, John? No, I've never had to go through that. But. You haven't. You haven't seen that. Okay. Yeah, I've got. I've got accounts that just keep appearing. Like you know, last night I was actually prepping this show, and my machine's saying, "Hey, we need the password for your Yahoo account." It's like, no, actually, you don't. You know, lighten up, Francis. It's all good. I don't use yeah. Yahoo on that machine, but I, but you might, right? I mean, Yahoo is Flickr, so I mean, there's you know, there might be things for which you need it. But go ahead and take a. I actually, I would say. Take a look uh, on El Capitan. Take a look in the Internet Accounts System Preference pane and just make sure there's not any bonus stuff there that you thought you had deleted years ago because it might come back. And that it's good to just, even if it's not causing you any weird symptoms right now, go in and just get rid of that stuff because that hopefully will get rid of it in the cloud. And then as things march forward, you're not going to wind up with these things propagating to all your devices uh, in a way that you don't want them to. Thoughts, John? Did I lose you, John? Mm. Oh, there you are. Nope. Okay. No, I'm here. No, not really. I mean, we we had someone else report, you know, similar problem I had 
which was, you know, some of my aliases didn't, uh, right. didn't make it over. So, right. yep. yeah. So whenever you do an upgrade, these things uh, are to be expected yep. or yep. anticipated. Or at least be aware that they might happen. Scott has, uh, well, Scott says, I used to have all my finder windows open in CoverFlow because of the nice graphic touches. Recently, I've switched to list view, which shows multiple columns and a preview icon when a file is selected, as it gives me a better overview of the folder and file structure where the items reside. One annoyance that I can't seem to get over, though, is column sizing. And he shows his attachment. Uh, he sent us a screenshot that shows, you know, the column width being so narrow that the middle of file names is getting crunched up together. He says, what I really want to do is widen those columns to custom widths, particularly the first one, so that I can see the full name of the folder without hovering the mouse over the name. Uh, and you can, you can adjust that. But the problem is it doesn't stick. When you open a new window, it doesn't stick. It's back to the old width. So this is a good, as good a time as any to have a discussion about how to get new defaults to stick in the finder. And then we'll talk about how column widths are different from everything else. So in a general sense, to set any defaults for a finder view, uh, the trick is you close all your finder windows, open a new one, make changes to its layout, its position, its sizing. And then immediately close the window without navigating anywhere. This is the important thing. As soon as you click on the contents of the window, it sort of gets you out of the mode of setting defaults. But if you just open a window, change its size, move it around, change its layout, and then close it, that will reset the defaults of the, uh, of the window. So just don't navigate. Open, adjust, and close. That means if you want your finder windows to open in column view instead of list view, for example, you'd open a new window, select the column view, close the window or resize it or whatever you want to do there. Um, except for column widths. If you want to adjust column widths, you can do that process and the changes won't stick unless you hold down the option key when changing column width. So you go into column view, hold down the option key, change the column widths that will stick the new size. So that's the trick there. And it, and it does work, uh, works on El Capitan just as well. So that's the, that's the trick for taming the finder, at least in terms of what it shows you and where it shows you. So sometimes you'll, you'll be, you'll experience that, you know, your finder windows just open in a new spot or they're the wrong size. And it's because you opened one, changed it, and then wound up closing it without doing anything inside it and that that's where the finder says aha my user wants to change his or her views but maybe not it is an election year so the expectation is people are going to want to change their views wait what that's different though john any thoughts about changing your views in the finder how about well in the finder yeah there's a view menu there is and then there is a choice there called show view options. And yep. then I noticed there's a little button that says use as defaults. I wonder if that's another path. Uh, no. Well, it is for the options in that window, which are different depending on what your view is, right? So if you're in list view, you can, you know, you have options for what appears in list view, like what columns appear. And yes, those mm -hmm. 
you, when you change these things, it's changing it for the one folder that you have open unless you click the use as default and then it will use it for all of your folders. If that makes sense. Uh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I'm a list view type of guy myself. That's what I typically use. Yeah, me too. I, I like list view and uh, I don't choose to calculate all folder sizes, which is something you see in that, in that view options thing you mentioned, John, but, uh, uh, but sometimes I do. So yeah, find the finder is an interesting thing. Uh, we talk about get info in the finder a lot, John, which is where you highlight something and choose a file, get info or do command I. And that brings up a uh, detail window about, you know, that whatever that is, it shows you the size, which is especially handy if it's a folder and you want to see how big it is and you don't have folder views uh, or calculate folder sizes turned on and it shows you permissions and that sort of thing. One handy thing is if you hold down the option key while you either choose get info from the uh, from the file menu, or uh, or hold down the option key when you do Command I. Instead of doing a Get Info, it changes it to Show Inspector. And the main difference—it seems like a similar window. The main difference is if you click on something else in the Finder, the contents of the Inspector window change. So it is a live update following you around, which can be handy if you're looking at the details of multiple files. You can get this inspector view up and then just kind of click around and, and watch the detail view change and get whatever information it is you're looking for. So that can that can be a handy thing. So the option key turns get info into show inspector, which really is just get info, but follow me around and don't stick with just the one view. So handy stuff. I like the finder, John. I mean, I know Apple's not perfect, but uh, I've gotten used to the finder. Zach writes, I have a quick El Capitan question. If you have a moment, I have two Mac minis. One is using the public beta 10.11.1 and the other is on the release of 10.11.0. I want to get off the beta list or at least just stop using the beta software because it scares me. But I, and I want to migrate all my data to the Mac with the release version. I want to use migration assistant. The real question is, do I have to wait for the release of 10.11.1 to the general public before I can migrate my data so that the two OSs are the same? I'm worried about moving my data and having issues because I jumped the gun after putting the Golden Master on my main Mac. So um, I think that, yeah, now that you're on the 10.11.1 track with one machine, you probably are better off. Uh, migration assistant, I honestly haven't tried it. It, it may balk at you and say, no, no, you're going to a, you know, you're coming from a newer version. I'm not going to do it. Uh, it may not. You'd probably be, if assuming migration assistant lets you do it, you'd probably be okay. I mean, it, I don't think there's any data structure changes happening in 10.11.1, but I can't be certain of that. Right. So I think you're okay. And I, I haven't heard of any real critical issues with the, especially the public betas of 10.11.1. So I wouldn't sweat this, but what I would do is, to get yourself off the beta track, whether you're a developer or whether you are just, uh, you know, on the public beta, uh, go into system preferences and go into app store. Uh, and then in there is a little uh, checkbox that you tell it, I don't want to be on the beta list. And it'll ask you, are you sure you want to be on the public track as opposed to the beta track? And it's a little checkbox right in the middle. I don't have it on this machine here, but um, I believe it was Dan Moore and, writing over at six colors 
did a great article on on how to get off of this, but it really is. It's just in the app store, um, the app store section. It, 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 yeah. So it says your computer is set to, pre- to receive pre-release software update seeds. Just click the change button and then you can change it to not. If you want to get back on the list, this is not the place to do it. You have to kind of go back through the whole, uh, the whole rigmarole of signing that machine up for it uh, or downloading it. If you, if you have access to a pre-release seed, once you install a pre-release seed, then it assumes you want to stay on that track until you do this. But, uh, but yeah, I would just do this now. And then that way you're fine and you'll get the latest release of 10, 11, one on both your machines when it, you know, when the public release comes out. And then from that point forward, I think you're going to be good to go. Thoughts on that, John? My thoughts are when I run a beta release, I, put it on its own drive in its own world. So I don't have to worry about stuff like this. <laughs> yeah. But that, but that's not, I mean, that's not how most people are, are dealing with these public betas from Apple. Right. So, I mean, it, it's smug to say that, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's helpful. Um, you know, it, but it is, I mean, you can, you know, if you're, if you want to experiment with it, but don't want to run live data, then that's the way to do it. But really the best way to experiment, of course, is to run live data and just have good backups. So um, if you're going to do it, make sure you, you take a clone first, right. You know, and, and backup regularly so that you've got, uh, you've got good, you know, so you've got, yeah, you've got good protection. Yeah. Yeah. That's just my recommendation. I, I don't like mixing betas and, uh, mission critical or, you know, day-to-day systems makes me uneasy. Yeah. I, well, I haven't put, I mean, I don't, if, if you have something that's, that's truly mission critical, I wouldn't even put the first release of something on there. Like on, on the podcast machine here, I, I don't have El Capitan on it. I'm still running, um, Yosemite, you know, the release version oh. of Yosemite. Really? Absolutely. Huh. Oh Yeah. Because, yeah. because I, you know, we, we need to, we need to have this be reliable. So, um, uh, I absolutely yeah, wait, which for is, others. which is why I, I upgraded. <laughs> oh, seems to be going okay. Yeah. Well, I, I use different audio hardware here and I've been through with, with the, <gasps> uh, with yes. the firewire stuff, which is what we're using now. It's not, it, it, I wouldn't expect it to be as, as much of an issue, but when we were using USB audio, especially. Uh, you know, the drivers need to be built for the OS. And a lot of times, you know, that means buying new hardware uh, because software vendors are just pretty terrible about keeping USB uh, drivers up to date. Not all of them, but, but many of them. Um, huh? Tascam, huh? I'm looking at you. Yeah, I got lucky then. But this uh, little <laughs> Yamaha here seems to uh, be working just fine. Oh, that's go- Oh, right. That's right. You are on USB audio now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, but I just... I, I had don't. one hiccup. It was funny. I remember I had one hiccup when, when we were trying to configure it, where I was getting stuttering, and I had to go to Audio Midi Setup and, and change the uh, frequency, I guess, which reloaded the driver, but right, only happened once. Oh, that's good. It was under uh, Yosemite. And that so. was Yosemite. That's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, if anything, it seems to be better on uh, El Capitan. That's not surprising. You, you know, um, I've, so, and, I, and I'll, I'll even jump to Sam's question about this because we've been, we've been talking about this kind of behind the scenes here. 
Sam wrote in and and said that he's got a uh, a, 20, a mid twenty twelve MacBook Pro that is slow at times, and with him the specific times are when Backblaze is running, um, which makes sense. I mean, if you've got your you know if you've got something where it's actively scouring the drive or reading data from the drive, uh, that can certainly slow you down. But uh, but he said that there are times when even when there's no active you know obvious background activity that. The system just feels slow. And I've found the same thing, too, with uh, with Yosemite machines. Uh, I haven't had El Capitan long enough to really come to a conclusion on this. But um, but I saw the same thing a lot on my Retina iMac where it would just get slow and no good reason. It would, you know, have after it had been up for a few days it would be just slow and there was no, the RAM, you know, RAM usage was fine. CPU usage was fine. Disk usage was non-existent. You know, it wasn't like something was crunching. I mean, if, if I've got, you know, Backblaze or CrashPlan or Time Machine even running, those can make a system feel sluggish, right? Because it's constantly, you know, crunching on the drive. And even with an SSD, it can, it can kind of take over enough that, that you notice it. But I would get this thing where, you know, even like moving windows around was just really slow and it made no sense. And a reboot would solve it and it would be fine for a couple of days and then uh, and then it would slowly creep back. And I started to sort out and I actually talked to the folks um, and they're great folks over at Backblaze about this. And they said they had seen it, too, but they couldn't put their finger on it. And I feel like it's FS events. FS events is Apple's. Um, framework, if you will, engine, I'll call it, that they built specifically for Time Machine, but they let third-party developers tie into it. And what it does is you tell FS Events as a developer, you say, hey, uh, I want you to register any changes that happen to that folder from this moment forward. And what that allows you to do, and you can see where this is going for Time Machine, is it allows Time Machine to start up and say, okay, it's time to back up. Instead of Time Machine at that moment having to go and scour through and compare, you know, what's new in this folder, what's changed, FS Events has been monitoring it the whole time and basically just comes back and Time Machine says, all right, what changed since the last time I told you to start watching? And FS Events delivers a list. And, it, and that's effectively how that works. And as I said, they let third parties register uh, with FS Events. So things like Dropbox and Backblaze and CrashPlan and BitTorrent Sync and Flickr Uploader and, you know, Google Photos, all of that stuff, right, can can and does use FS events to varying degrees. Some of them, it's it's all they use, right? But it's smart because you're letting the OS do the hard work. And then when you go and fire up whatever task it is you're going to do, you don't have to scour the drive. It's already happened. But I think when you've got too many things, and I don't know what this too many number is, but when you've got multiple things registering with FS events, after a few days, it can really start to slow you down. And I thought it was like Thunderbolt stuff. I mean, I was driving myself crazy over it. I haven't had El Capitan long enough on, uh, certainly on my most affected machine, which is the iMac in the office. And I didn't put that on that one until basically it was released. Uh, but I have not seen this issue on that machine since I put El Capitan on it. So perhaps there is something, uh, and you know, Apple said that they were making a lot of changes under the hood, some that they told us about and some that they just, you know, haven't told us about. 
And I'm wondering if cleaning up FS events is one of them. Um, have you seen anything? Did you experience anything like this with, with prior versions that you haven't seen with, with Yosemite or with, sorry, with, with El Capitan or weren't, did, did you not have this issue at all, John? Uh, no, no okay. I haven't had the issue. Okay. So I noticed one thing here. I just tried to run um, a dandy little utility here called FS Eventer. Mm-hmm. Uh, my machine here, and it doesn't seem to work anymore. It looks like El Capitan broke that. Uh, I have to find an option. And also, I see in the chat room here, uh, someone asked the question, FS Events is deprecated? Hmm, interesting. Really? That. Huh? Yeah, Furby said that. Huh. Maybe they're moving to something new. I didn't realize that. Huh. Huh. Yeah. But sadly, FS Eventer, uh, which I always thought was an, a nifty program, it would show you all the FS events that were happening and uh, in a list view or a, a graphic view. Uh, yeah. I'll have to find an alternative to that because I found, yeah, when I, I'm scratching my head over uh, file system craziness, yeah. uh, that sometimes comes in real handy. Or did come in real handy. I don't, I don't know anymore, that I guess. FS events is deprecated. Um, I think Furby's was asking that question, not stating right. it. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't yes. think FS yeah, events is asking. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I don't, uh, yeah. Okay. So Furby's is saying he's, and this is in our chat room at, uh, com slash stream. Uh, he thought he had seen some console messages to that effect. So we'll have to, we'll have to look into that. I, I mean, I see it. It's supported by Swift. There's, you know, some, I perhaps there is a way of interacting with FS events that's been deprecated for a newer way. And that's what was in there. But I don't think that's gone. I mean, it time machine is very much reliant on that to, to my knowledge. It always has been. So uh, I don't think it's going away, but it, listen, anything could happen. Apple can, can rewrite stuff. They, they haven't yet, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I feel like that there was just something there. It was the only thing that felt consistent among these things. And, and the more, um, software that I installed that was kind of monitoring things via FS events again, you know, like a Flickr uploader and and these sorts of things. Uh, the the worse it seemed to get, but I couldn't narrow it down to any one piece of software. So that's that's where and and, and we've heard from several of you about this. It's the first time we've talked about it on the show. Uh, it took it took us a while to kind of come to where we at least thought this might be going. So I'd be curious to hear from all of you if you've experienced these sort of inexplicable yet reboot fixing slowdowns that would be, I would love to hear about it. Sounds like they're coming to get you, John. Nah, somebody else. Okay, good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And FS, did FS Avenger work with Yosemite, John? It may not have, you know, that I, I was looking actually, some people say it may have been broken even under Yosemite. Yeah. Yeah. Someone suggested it looks uh, that's not working. I have to try this. Someone suggested there's something called Open Snoop, which okay. apparently seems to be installed, oh. or, uh, or seems to be available from the command line. I'll have to, yeah, yeah. We should research. We should we should research. Yeah, definitely. People can use to. Uh, yeah, I haven't had to do that for a while. So yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But you're right that that I hadn't I forgot about. FS Avenger, that would have been a, a handy kind of thing. Um, 
I'm trying to think. Do I have it on this machine? Am I smart? Am I too? Uh, no, I don't have it on this machine. Probably shouldn't run that kind of stuff while we're recording anyway. But that's never stopped me before. Speaking of, so yeah, let us know. Uh, feedback at MacKeyCab.com is the uh, is the place to send that into. Right, John? Uh, I think you said feedback at MacKeyCab.com. I did. I said feedback at MacKeyCab.com. That's the place to send that, all, all that yeah. stuff in. If you want to, if you want to send uh, a, uh, uh, if you want to leave us a phone message, it's two zero six 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 geek. You can let us know about that or really anything else. John, what's uh, what's geek for him? Uh, Forty three thirty five. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, while we're talking about El Capitan, I want to jump and talk about raid in El Capitan because uh, I'll let Louis lead us into this. He said I just did a nuke and pave. It went well. No major issues, but. Prior to my nuke and pave, I set up a RAID array using OWC parts, uh, and it works fantastic. I used two SSDs, and I hit 800 megabytes a second, or 800 megabits a second, I think, right? Uh, yeah, uh, maybe, no, megabytes. Uh, read speeds. I thought using the native Apple RAID software was the best thing to do. I've used others, other RAID managers before, and they always felt dinky, uh, looking like beginner, you know, virtual basic UIs. Uh, after nuking, after my nuke and pave, I found out that there is no more raid in Apple's disk utility. My question is, am I at risk of losing something? Should I really switch to something like soft raid? If I do, well, I have to reconstruct the raid array. I understand that I can still do raid management through the terminal, but I'm not so comfortable, especially for raid where things can go wrong really quickly. And yeah, Louis, you're totally right. So disk utility, the graphical portion of disk utility has been rewritten uh, completely for El Capitan. And yes, one of the things that is no longer there is the ability to create and manage raids. Uh, you can still do repairs and all that stuff, but you just can't create them. But you're right. The terminal is the, the place to, to do that. And the, the disk util command, which is all one word, D-I-S-K-U-T-I-L, still happily supports creating raids and and doing things that way and actually gives you more options uh, than you've ever had in the you know in the in the in disk utilities graphical interface uh than you know before so I, my feeling is is that you're better off using apple's stuff to do this um it doesn't surprise me that they removed it from disk utility it's probably not something that, you know, 99% of uh, Apple's users do, but there are folks that do, and it's a smart thing to do. But, you know, like, like we talked about with TrueCrypt, I'm always wary of having something that is so fundamental to my ability to access my data be um, managed by a third party, if avoidable. There are times when that's not avoidable. And it's because, you know, when you upgrade from, let's say, and I don't know how this worked. I haven't, I haven't looked at it because I don't use SoftRaid. But, you know, it's possible that there's something about the way El Capitan is or whatever 10.12 is that doesn't work with SoftRaid. And now suddenly you don't have access to either see or manage your, you know, your volumes or your data. I don't think that's the case uh, with with this particular one. But that's always the question, you know, if they sell the company or whatever, you know, things can happen. So I'm always, I'm always wary of that. And if I were going to do a raid array, I would do it with disk utility. We'll put a, um, uh, a link to a Reddit thread that really talks about kind of the simplest way to, 
to do raid and disk utility um, from the command line. And I, that's, you know, that's my feeling on it. It is a shame to have the graphical version go away, though. I'm hoping they bring it back. And they might. I think so. You know, the priorities over there. What do you think about this, John? You think it's safe to use third-party soft raid utilities? Soft, yeah, a soft raid has been out for quite some time. And when yeah. I last looked at it, uh, I found that it handles um, it handles raid better than Apple's implementation. Uh, especially if a, a disk uh, disappears from it, I found this is that Apple's implementation is really kind of dumb, and that mm. it takes it takes it a real long time to uh, recompose it if it if it thinks that a disk went away and then it comes back, it's like oh, it's broken. Uh, let me uh, you know let me grind for a real long time and and rebuild it for you. I, I found SoftRate is uh, is much better at that. Huh. All right. And 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 so, to be to be clear, version five point one of SoftRaid is fully compatible with with El Capitan. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it. You know, it, again, there there are lots of things that we recommend here that where third parties do things better than Apple. You know, um, and it sounds like this is one. I just you know I always am I'm always nervous about about things like access to my data, but I guess. I guess it's not, I need to learn more about SoftRaid because I'm, I don't know whether it's just configuration software or if it actually has drivers that need to be updated for the OS. So could I take a, you know, a drive that I created with SoftRaid, say two years ago or an array that I created with mm-hmm. SoftRaid two years ago and mount it on, you know, my, El Capitan machine that doesn't have uh, that has never had software on it whatsoever. Right. That, that would be my, my question. So I will pose that to them because, because that's, if the answer is, yeah, you can mount it anywhere. It's just the software is just used for configuration. Well, then that's not so bad. Right. There's a lot less risk there. Pretty sure you would have to install it on whatever machine the drives are on. Okay. So you've got to, you've got to tread carefully. Yeah, and of course the other solution here is to uh, do a hardware raid or you know something like a Synology or a Drobo or, or QNAP or whatever. Sure. Take the hardware route. Yep. But uh, sometimes it's fun to build your own. I did it for a while. I had a, a raid on my Mac Mini. Uh, then got kind of, well, the one drive that was part of it actually died. It was a FireWire Hunter drive. And then I'm like, yeah, I don't really need that anymore. Nice. Let's... Uh... That's crazy. <laughs> did you, you did it with apples or with software? Uh, I did it with Apple. Okay. Okay. That's why I'm making the statement about yeah. it, rebuilding it is that, uh, when one of the drives was not available, it, it, uh, it, it, it didn't seem to handle that event as gracefully as software does. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 Well, I, you know, I just, it's, it's one of those things where, you just got to be aware of, of what you're doing. Um, Brian Monroe's yelling at me in the chat room. He's saying uh, he would never use software raid, but lots of people do. And there's nothing wrong. I, I, I disagree there. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's good reasons. You know, we, we've got um, computers that can handle it and it saves you a ton of money. If you're willing to, to inherit the management of it. And it's, eh, it's not a bad thing. I mean, it, it depends on what your needs are, but 
I think I think soft raid or software raid. And it sounds like soft raid is is you know the top option there. It can be a good thing. So it's good stuff. All right. Uh, let's go to, uh, Alex stumbled onto an interesting thing. Uh, Alex said his mother was having all kinds of problems with getting her, um, MacBook pro, I believe it was her laptop of some, yeah, MacBook pro on, uh, on her Wi-Fi network and it would connect to Wi-Fi, but it would never get an IP address. It was always getting the self-assigned address. And it was driving him crazy because he saw it connect and he's even got some router where he can look deep inside it. I think it was a router he built with his own, um, like a, a custom Linux box kind of thing, which can be fun and, uh, and would see it connect, but it would never get an IP address. And finally, uh, he says an hour into troubleshooting, my mom noticed that the system clock was about six hours behind. And he says, well, I was Google researching. She manually set the clock after which everything started working. So apparently in at least one way of implementing either WPA2 encryption or DHCP, having an approximately correct clock is necessary for it to work correctly. Uh, I've definitely heard of schemas that require clocks to be within a couple of minutes for them to work, but I don't think I've ever heard of that with WPA2 or DHCP. Uh, something to keep in mind when you're tearing your hair out. And this is, this is helpful. Um, I think we've all seen those times when it's like, how come I'm not getting an IP address and having the clock, even just six hours off was enough. And it makes sense with, you know, security and timings and all of that. I mean, it, if, if DHCP is uh, only giving out IP addresses for an hour, she could be getting, uh, you know, requesting an address with the time on the machine and it's expired before it ever even, uh, before it ever even is active. So yeah, it is good to have your clock in sync. Interesting. Thanks for sharing that, Alex. Thoughts on that, John? Good one. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'll have to dig into the protocols. It, it does kind of make sense. Cause I, I guess, uh, if, if the time is off, uh, that may be, uh, uh, maybe someone trying to attack your system. They're trying to fiddle with the clock in order to try to trick either the network or the, the encryption on the, on the Wi-Fi. Right. Yeah. I'll have to look into that. I'm almost certain that, yeah, I'm, I'm almost certain that the time and date is part of some negotiation with, with uh, either of those protocols. Yeah. Or perhaps both. Right. I mean, like you said, yeah, it makes good sense with encryption that you'd, you'd use the clock. Yeah. Funny. Uh, Dave writes, uh, he says, I've got a quick one for you. I'm strongly considering replacing my 2011 MacBook Pro with a shiny new 4K 21 and a half inch iMac that hopefully gets released this week. We haven't heard anything yet. Uh, and the new MacBook. He said the iMac would sit at my school desk that I'd use for all my teaching and geeky needs. And the MacBook is what I'd use to walk around uh, and bring home. Due to the fun factor, he says he has, or he, has, he has two questions. The first is due to the fun factor, which, of course, first world problems of wanting portability of a MacBook along with its retina display and the awesomeness of the iMac screen and blazing speeds. Would you think it still makes sense to go down this route since the 2016 MacBook Pros are likely around the corner but have no release date? I'd be bummed to buy something and then find out the new one comes out in two months. And number two, if I do go down the two computer route, what's the advice you'd give to keep them happy? 
and in sync with each other beyond the obvious solution of Dropbox. I'm not worried about accessing my gobs of video files or photos. They just sit on my Drobo at home. Yeah. So, you know, unless we're, this is sort of my general advice about when you shouldn't and shouldn't buy a, a computer or really just any new piece of technology. Unless we're in a position where we're expecting something imminently, like these iMacs where there's lots of rumors churning and, and it sounds like, you know, a, a retina 21 and a half inch iMac is coming perhaps as early as tomorrow, right? Uh, Tuesday, the, uh, the 13th. Um, unless we're in that position, my advice is don't wait, buy a computer when you need slash want one. There will always be something new on the horizon, right? I mean, that's just the, the, fact of this industry and it's a good part about this industry and once you have your computer you're going to have it for a while even when there's a newer shinier you know better one out there so i you know and i and i you know i i first saw this email when i was going through stuff uh, prepping the show on my 2011 uh macbook air and it still works fine for me you know i love that machine i'd like to have longer battery life that's really my only complaint with it otherwise Perfectly fast for everything I do with it. So, and it runs El Capitan just fine, right? So, uh, don't don't drive yourself crazy waiting. Enjoy the new machine now, and uh, and then you know down the road you'll you'll get another one. As for keeping your computers in sync, there are lots of options. Of course, Dropbox you mentioned, iCloud Drive, right, is much better now uh, in terms of syncing files because on iOS nine. You can actually install the iCloud Drive app and see your data without having to figure out what app you use to create it. And so that that got much better. Uh, but, you know, you've got BitTorrent Sync, you've got Box. There's I mean, there's all kinds of things to keep your files um, in sync. You will be dealing with your settings and apps, though, that, that won't really be in sync. I have one folder that I, I sync it with BitTorrent Sync, but you could sync it with Dropbox or, or iCloud Drive. It doesn't matter. Where anytime I install something new on one of my machines that's not being updated from the Mac App Store, right? And with the Mac App Store, it makes this a lot easier because you just it just keeps things updated. But if, you know, we've all got stuff that doesn't uh, work with the Mac App Store for a variety of reasons. And I keep a folder of installers and I put the latest version of, you know, if I have to download like, you know, signature profile or mail tags, that those are the ones I put in there a lot, or even BitTorrent sync. Um, I just throw those in that box. And then when I'm on the next machine, I know, Oh, okay, great. I'll just, you know, run these installers here and get up to date. And I know I'm good to go and I've got everything I need. So that's, um, that's how I manage that. It's not, I mean, it's not going to be perfect. You don't, I, I think, there's too many, too much risk in trying to, you know, sync your applications folder or your library folder. That just gets dicey, but like mail and all of that stuff is going to be fine. Cause it's all just IMAP. So I don't think you're going to have too much trouble. You've got, you run multiple machines, John. How do you deal with that? Uh, I pretty much have a mess of, uh, installers in my downloads folder on each machine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would say that my apps are, uh, probably not, all the same version. Right. So if, you know, if I run one and uh, almost any modern app will phone home and say, Hey, am I the latest? Oh, okay. Here's an update. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I mean, I think you're going to be fine. I think, I don't think there's a, 
a big uh, a big concern there, John. So good stuff. Well, I believe it's time to bring the band in, my friend. What do you believe? Oh, I believe in the truth. I want to believe. Truth is out there. The truth is out there. All right, Maurice. Uh, let's see. Facebook. MacGeekCup.com slash Facebook is where you're going to find the easy path that'll automatically redirect you to our fantastic Facebook group. And we would love to see you and answer your questions there. The cool part about the Facebook group is the rest of your listening brethren are going to answer your questions before John and I even get uh, get a chance to see them. It's, it's absolutely outstanding. Thank you to everyone who participates there uh, in, in every capacity, and especially those of you who are, are just out there, you know, doing a great job helping everybody else. It's, uh, I love it that we have this community here. So, and then, and that Facebook group is, is probably the best uh, incarnation of, of that. So thank you. Check it out. MacGeekUp.com slash Facebook. Anything else you want to share with them, John, before we, uh, before we slide out of here for yet another, uh, another week? Nah, I'm done sharing. You're done sharing. If you are in the uh, vicinity of Princeton, New Jersey, I am going to be down there speaking tomorrow night, Tuesday, October 13th. I would love to see you there. And if you come, please come up to me afterwards and, and say hello or even before. It's fine. I mean, I'm usually, you know, mildly engaged just plugging things in. But unless I'm having a problem, uh, which we don't typically there, uh, feel free to come say hi then too so i always it, i'm always sad when i get emails from people saying hey great job on your presentation tonight it's like oh dude we'd I'd love to meet so come say hi it's fun stuff princeton uh new jersey it's called p mug dash nj i think is what they what they call the group but uh i'll put a link to that in the in the show notes here but come on out good to see you cashfly it's c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y dot com it's the company that provides all the bandwidth, so I want to thank them. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. John, I'd like to thank you for adjusting your schedule and doing this with me on a Monday morning. We had a uh, death in the extended family that kind of screwed up our schedule for the weekend, as those things often do. So thank you. Uh, and I want to thank all our sponsors. Of course, Bombic Software. MGG10 off is the coupon code at bombic.com slash MGG. That's B-O-M-B-I-C-H dot com slash MGG. Gazelle at gazelle.com, as I mentioned. And Casper at casper.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks. In addition, tunnelbear.com slash MGG. That is where you're going to get your VPN. I think 20% off at tunnelbear.com slash MGG. Amazing.com slash uh, MGG and coupon code MGG there saves you 20%. Smilesoftware.com slash geek. You can always see the latest deals from them there. Squarespace.com. Lynda.com slash MGG. Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com. And Barebones Software at Barebones.com. John, got any lasting advice for everyone here? Mm. I got advice for everyone, and especially for you, Dave, because you're going to be traveling a lot. I will. Traveling, especially driving like a maniac. You <laughs> want to do one thing, and you want to make sure that you don't get caught. 
made of.